but we start off the hour with our guy from NBC Sports. He was between the glass last night. He's Pierre Maguire, and he joins us on the AT&T Hotline. Pierre, Mutt and Lou, how are you? I'm doing very well, Mutt. Nice to visit with you. Hello, Lou. Hey, Pierre. Uh, so is the series over, Pierre, with the Bruins uh, having a commanding 3-1 lead heading into Game 5 tomorrow? I, I think commanding is the right word. To say over is probably a bit of a stretch, but I would say uh, there are three things you want to plant in an opponent's mind during a playoff series. Concern, doubt, and fear. Clearly there's concern. If you're Detroit, there's got to be a whole lot of doubt. And I think coming into Game 5, there's got to be a little bit of fear. So Boston's well on their way to creating the three things you have to have if you're going to win a playoff series. But to say that uh, it's over would be disrespectful to the Detroit Red Wings. And I would never disrespect that franchise. I have too much respect for the way they handle themselves. You know, I think the issue that Detroit's probably facing is they got that initial spark. Zetterberg, give them all the credit in the world, right, jumping out there in that ice. And they looked like a different team in the first period. And then they just sort of lost it. They got worn down. Bruins sort of took over late. And I that's probably the depressing thing for that team, right? They had the edge early, and they just eventually got worn down. Can they put 60 minutes together? Well, they can put 60 minutes together. They just can't do it the same way Boston can. Right. You know, Lou, the biggest thing is I, you guys didn't get our feed last night, so you were watching the, the Boston feed because we were blacked out in Boston. But the point I was making from the start of the game was that Detroit under Babcock made a subtle adjustment. They were really trying to stretch out the Bruins' defense, and that's why you saw the speed game engaged by the Detroit Red Wings in the first period, and that's why the shot totals were so in Detroit's favor. But Claude Julien and his staff made a subtle adjustment. They started moving their defensemen up and closing the gap, forcing more turnovers, and that allowed them to control the puck more. And then they started to counterattack, forcing those quicker Detroit players to play defense rather than offense. So, again, point-counterpoint, point from uh, Babcock, counterpoint by Julien, and then finally you saw Boston with the four lines start to dominate. And what was really apparent, fellas, in the third period, he was rolling four lines, and he was basically sh- cutting the shift lines from about 35 to 40 seconds down to 30 to 25 seconds and even 20 seconds in some cases. But that four-line attack just wore Detroit down. Well, let's talk about the play of Henrik Zetterberg. Pierre, he comes back. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of emotion involved. He missed 30 games plus the postseason. You were right, I mean, plus the Olympics. You were there right to watch him up close. What do you think is, re- is returned physically, and what kind of impact did he have on that Detroit team by coming back to play? Huge emotional impact for the Red Wings and for their fan base, and he's an extremely respected and revered player in the state of Michigan and in the city of Detroit in particular, Uh, and he's a man of honor. I mean, he went out there, probably wouldn't have and shouldn't have been playing, but he did, Um, so I give him full marks for that. You could see at the beginning a little bounce to his step, but there was one sequence uh, where he had a chance in the second period to get a breakaway opportunity it just wasn't going to happen. I mean, he got involved by Zdeno Char uh, and Dougie Hamilton. He just couldn't even try to match pace with them at that time of the game. So as the game went along and all the grinding started to kick in, he started to get fatigued. And it's normal. I mean, the poor guy, he's had a terrible back problem, and then he had major back surgery, and now he's back way before they even thought he would be back. So I give him full marks for trying. You know, Pierre, what did you think? Uh, I don't know if you talked to him after the game. I know we got some. We, we've heard from Brad Marchand, but both of those misses. We were, we were. I was saying I felt bad for Glenn Wesley. Every time we see something like that, everybody always talks about 1990 missing that open net. But right. Marchand, a couple of wide open shots. Lucky they won that game for his psyche. Well, it's three in a row now. You go back to Game Three where right. he hit the post on the empty net, and then two last night. Uh, and he's and we showed a clip of all the missed chances he's had in this series. 
the good news for Brad is that he's creating these opportunities and he's playing with a whole lot of uh, vim, vigor, and vitality, which is really important. He's engaged in this titanic battle with Brendan Smith. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart between those two guys. And I respect both of them for the way they're playing it out because it hasn't been easy. And behind the play, it really becomes nasty. Uh, but he's getting the chances. So at some point, it's going to break for him. It really is. But he's just trying to be too refined right now. And I think it's a little bit in his head. So he's just going to have to relax and shoot the puck in the middle of the net. Don't try to pick corners. Uh, he's Pierre McGuire, NBC Sports, joining us. You alluded to it there. Maybe it's the Brendan Smith, Brad Marchand back and forth. But since you've been on the ice for most of these games, Pierre, what have been those battles? What are those rivalries? Who are the guys on both sides that are doing the most talking that's become the most heated through these first four games? Well, the talking obviously took place a little bit more in game number two where Boston really started to develop some edge and Detroit went off their game plan a little bit and that caused some problems for Detroit and Boston won handily 4-1 and that score was flattering to them. I think the biggest thing is Marshan and, and Smith. That's a huge one. Um, and the rest of the guys aren't talking that much, to be perfectly honest with you. The one thing is Sean Thornton's a stabilizer. Advocator's been talking a little bit. And the other night, Sean Thornton just looked at the bench and said, really, I'm here. If you really want to do that, we can do it. And that kind of stifled everything. So I don't see much of that happening. This is more of a docile series verbally compared to some of the other ones that I've been doing. And I think it's because both teams are extremely professional. They know they have a job to do, but that doesn't mean they're not going to be physical. You know, I know you like this Bruins team. You talked about it this year. And, I, you know, we were mentioning before how they won a cup a couple years ago with no power play. Uh, they, they got to the cup last year with no third line. And this year it seems like they've got both of those things. The power play has been good, and Soderberg last night was outstanding. Yeah, we showed clips of him. He's prepared to take games over now. I, I'm prepared to say – Lou, that he's the best third-line center in the National Hockey League right now from a skill standpoint, from a game-breaking standpoint, and from not being a defensive liability standpoint. Uh, and when you factor in no Chris Kelly on that line, who's such an important player for the Boston Bruins, that says a lot about the Bruins' depth. It says a lot about Carl Sodersberg's ability to, to really stabilize a game. And to me, uh, playing in the three-hole, that's almost an unfair advantage. And then you talk about the power play. Tory Krug deserves a lot of mention on that. Dougie Hamilton deserves a lot of mention on that. And the one part of his game that's really evolved is Patrice Bergeron. His playmaking skills, he's always been a very good player. Everybody knows that, especially defensively. But his playmaking skills have really risen. It's phenomenal to watch his peripheral vision and his ability to put the puck into the wheelhouse for a lot of players in the power play. Uh, Pierre Maguire is joining us. When you look at uh, the Bruins' defense, you mentioned Hamilton. I mean, to me, the biggest surprise has been in the second half of the year, Pierre, and in this series, that they lost Dennis Seidenberg, and these guys have not missed a beat from Miller to Krug all the way down. You look at this young team, and I just keep waiting for them to make a mistake. As you watch them up close, is there a maturity there that you're not used to seeing with young players? Who's been the leader of that group besides Chara? Well, you want to hear perfectly honestly, Dougie Huda. I'm so proud of really? Dougie. Dougie played for me. Dougie Huda's done a fantastic job with those young defensemen. Dougie played for me in Hartford. I couldn't be more proud of the way he's carried himself as a coach, as a professional, as a man that made the transition from being a player into being a coach. And he's paid his dues going to the American Hockey League and working his way up. And he got an opportunity in Boston, and he's never looked back. And I think he's done a great job with Tory Krug, an amazing job with Matt Barkowski, unbelievable work with Kevin Miller. But to me, the real cooler guy is going to be Dougie Hamilton and what Dougie's doing. Dougie Hamilton, I know you guys are going to think this hyperbole, but it's not. He's starting to remind me of Larry Robinson. 
I grew up watching Larry Robinson. I wore number 19 because of Larry Robinson. And Dougie Hamilton's starting to remind me of Larry Robinson. And if he can ever be uh, three-quarters of the player that Larry Robinson was, this guy's going to have an amazing career. Well, yeah, I mean, you never want to see one of your defensemen, you know, taking penalties, roughing penalties, whatever it is. But in the case of Dougie Hamilton, I don't. I, I actually like seeing him get involved in physical style, right? Bring it on. You know, that's what one of the things, and I, I talk to Dougie a lot, Dougie Hamilton. I just really respect him a lot as a young player. He's only 20 years of age. And we talked before games, in between games, and he says to me, he goes, I'm a little shy talking to you. My mother says all the nice things you say about me. Come on, don't be so nice to me. And I was like, you earned it, kid. Um, but I really like how humble he is. I really like his work habits. I love the fact that he's prepared to listen to coaching. And, I, again, I'll bring up a Larry Robinson moment. I was at the game when Larry Robinson uh, made a huge check on a Philadelphia Flyer player by the name of Gary Dornhofer, and he checked him through the boards at the old form in Montreal. I'm not kidding you. And I see that little nasty stuff starting to kick into Dougie Hamilton's game, and you like that. You want to see it, and you hope it continues. All right, Pierre, since you were there, you can confirm uh, my conspiracy theory that Jimmy Howard wasn't – he had the flu. <laughs> he, he, he was told <laughs> he had the flu and that there was a thought here that uh, Babcock wanted to go with Gustafson, not happy with Howard the first three games. What did you see? Was he really sick, or did they want to make a change there in Detroit? There's a lot of flu going around this whole series. I'm being totally frank with you, Mutt. Uh, in fact, Claude Julian was extremely sick last night. Uh, he told me before the game, don't get too close to me, Pierre. I don't want to be the guy that puts you out of your streak because that was uh, nine games and nine nights. Tonight's 10 and 10. Wow. So he didn't want to take me out of my streak. So he said, don't get too close to me. So even the Bruins are going through a little bit of a flu thing, including their coach. On the other side, Jimmy Howard wasn't even on the bench last night uh, because of that flu. They're trying to keep him away from the players. He did not skate this morning in Detroit, so he's clearly sick, um, and it's unfortunate for him. But, you know, the goaltending wasn't the issue last night. No, not at all. Been, and I don't think goaltending's been the issue in the series. Boston's just been better. I mean, Detroit would be the, – the coaching staff would be the first people to tell you that. They've just been better than us. And I think a big part of it is because there's a lot of experience – on the Boston side of things, and there's a level of excellence on the Boston side of things that Detroit's trying to get to. I don't think their young players are prepared to get there yet. You know, just looking around uh, the league a little bit, sticking with the Eastern Conference, it seems like in Columbus and, and Pittsburgh, the last thing you want to do is be up 2 nothing. I mean, it's been four games in a row now. <laughs> Anything surprising you? Is that the series, or is it maybe Anaheim and Dallas, off of where that is now? No, um, Anaheim-Dallas, I'm not surprised because I didn't like the way Anaheim was playing going into the playoffs, and I said it in a few different forms, both on NBC and NBC Sports Network and also on radio. Um, they were playing poorly down the stretch, and then John Gibson, the young goaltender, went in and kind of stabilized things, and they kind of got away with Game 2 in Anaheim. I don't know if you guys watched it, but they were very fortunate to win Game 2 in Anaheim, so you could see some bad habits were creeping into their game even the last 10 to 15 games of the season. Um, but the Columbus-Pittsburgh one, I don't think anybody, including the Penguins, were prepared for how physical Columbus was going to be. They're a huge team, one of the largest teams in the league. They're really young. They're amazingly skillful at the forward position, and they've got a good goalie. And I can tell you right now, I say this with all due respect to every fan base in the league, no building yet this year, and I've been in a lot of them, has been as loud as Columbus. No built, not even in Boston, which I think is right up there. Montreal's right up there. Chicago's right up there. Columbus has been the loudest building so far. Do so you think it's more about Columbus than about their goaltender in Pittsburgh falling apart, Pierre? I mean, some of the good coming out of net for that game tie the other night. He Ooh. he is out of his mind right now, Pierre. 
I, I wouldn't say out of his mind, but he clearly has a crisis of confidence. There's no question about that. But, you know, what I and Red Sox fans might love this. They might hate this. Uh-oh. That was his, that was his Bill Buckner moment. Mm. Why do you that get? was his mm. Bill Buckner moment. And I said that on the air when it happened. It was tough to watch because you don't want to see any player have to go through that. But that if they lose a series in Pittsburgh – that moment will be remembered forever like the Buckner moment. Is there any negative, uh, or is it more negative or positive, that Montreal is going to sit around probably for about a week or so, uh, at least, maybe a little bit less than that, and wait for the winner of Detroit and Boston, Pierre? Depends on how they handle it, Mutt. It really does. If if they don't handle it in a professional manner and the guys don't take care of themselves, and it's easy to get out of control in Montreal just because of how <laughs> crazed the city is, um, you've got to be really careful. If I were the management team in Montreal – that I would have given my guys the day after the clinching game and the next day off, except for the injured guys, and then I would have put them on a bus and taken them somewhere as a group for a three-day minicamp uh, just so there could be a bonding session and the guys could just get into a hard battle environment because the most dangerous thing in the playoffs, I can tell you, haven't been through it, is you lose your battle edge. You lose that intensity and that focus and almost that nastiness you have to have to go through the next round because each round gets harder and harder. I'm going to steal that phrase, battle edge. I love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's get you on this. Bruins fans are wondering, Pierre, say the, the Bruins and Red Wings finish up tomorrow. Is the league going to wait on starting any of the second-round series, as far as you know, until every second-round series is done? So, for example, even if the Bruins win tomorrow, mm-hmm. they would have to wait until all the other series, including four of them that are, or two or three of them that are tied 2-2, four of them are done before they start round two. It's a best-kept secret in hockey because I'm not aware of it, and I wish I could ah. tell you because I, I'd tell you right away. Um, I can give you, for instance, sure. I was supposed to, here's my weekend, the way it was supposed to be, and it changed uh, late yesterday afternoon. I was supposed to be in Philadelphia tonight where I am. I was supposed to be in Boston tomorrow where I will be. And then on Sunday I was supposed to be in New York for a 12 o'clock start, Rangers versus Flyers, Game 5. That was switched yesterday afternoon to Chicago, St. Louis at Chicago, Game six. So I'm actually going to go to Chicago on Sunday rather than New York. So I asked, what about the rest of next week? They said, we can't tell you. (laughs) Wow. That's where I'm at. I got a life. I want a plan. Come on. I want to know where I'm going to be. What time zone am I going to be in NBC Sports? (laughs) Well, if you hear, Pierre, you you text our producer, Joey. I know you guys uh, connect. So if you hear what's going on, Bruins fans want to know if they have to wait all the way till next week or. This thing will start. We appreciate the time, as always. Travel safe, and we will see you back here in Boston tomorrow, Pierre. Thanks. Uh, you guys are the best. I just can't thank you enough. I just truly enjoy being on the show. For all those people that I see around the rink, in Boston, at the airports, when I'm traveling, thank you for saying hello. It means so much. I have to tell you, I was telling Joe before I came on with you guys, I can't believe how many people listen to you guys on the Internet. I'm blown away on all the different cities I go to, and people say, yeah, I was listening to you on Mutt Merloni. <laughs> you know, so it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, pretty I can't cool. I can't even use the internet, so thank God our listeners can. <laughs> Pierre, thank you, man. We'll see you later. <laughs> Have a great weekend, you guys. All right, uh, Pierre. That is uh, Pierre McGuire, brought to you by Norfolk Power Equipment and by UMass Online.